text for the sermon this afternoon comes also from the book of Ecclesiastes, the last few verses of chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, where we read the following. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. After the proclamation of God's word, we will voice our amen together by singing from Psalm 49 again, the stanzas 4 and 5. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, boys and girls who also belong to God's covenant and congregation, you know the familiar words of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. When the Lord gave us that petition, he meant for us not only to ask God for our daily bread, but also to thank him for our daily bread. This petition implies, of course, that all of our work and labor are in vain unless the Lord blesses that work. But it also implies that we are thankful for what he gives us. And I'm sure Most of us begin our day with a prayer asking God for his blessing on the day. And as congregation, we also regularly thank God for what he gives us. We even pay special attention to that often on Thanksgiving Day or sometimes in the spring when we have a special service for prayer for crops and labor. And in doing so, we acknowledge that the Lord who created all things is the one who also gives us good things. He is the fountain of all good, we confess in Belgian Confession, Article 1. He also gives us our work, our talents, our jobs, and our wages. And the text that I've chosen for us to pay attention to this afternoon, it speaks about our work. More particularly, it speaks about finding enjoyment in our work, or perhaps it addresses our lack of enjoyment in our work. Our text confronts us with the question, where do you look for happiness? We all want to be happy, I believe. That's only natural. But what do we do to reach that goal? And is that the right goal? What do we mean by being happy? In the Bible, the word blessed and happy can be used interchangeably. If you look at some different English translations, you will notice that. The Beatitudes, in some translations, use the word happy instead of blessed. Or take Psalm 1, for instance, which we sang from this morning. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Some translations use the word happy. Happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So what is happiness? And how can we reach that goal? And is it ours to reach? While the author of Ecclesiastes describes how he has attempted to find happiness, but his attempts, his attempts, they all ended in bitter failure. It even got to the point, 
We read in verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. And then he writes in verse 20, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair. After all of his efforts, he ended up being depressed. You try and try and try to find happiness and it just remains elusive. What is the answer to this dilemma, congregation? Well, we find the answer in our text where the Lord teaches us that happiness comes only to those who do not strive for it. That's the theme for the sermon. The Lord teaches us that happiness comes only to those who do not seek it. We'll consider why we fail to find happiness and the only way to true happiness. When you read through these chapters, chapter 1 and 2, it's easy to get the impression that the author of Ecclesiastes is simply describing the life of an unbeliever. Someone who just is indulging himself in guilty pleasures. We should keep in mind, however, that the inspired author is a teacher and preacher in Israel, and that his audience is the people of God. The preacher is addressing the church. He is a believer. He has been a struggling believer, but he is a believer, addressing other believers. And the preacher congregation recognizes why life is so difficult. He knows that it's an unhappy business that God has given us that is given to the children of man to be busy with. An unhappy business. Other translations call it a grievous task or a heavy burden. And by this, the author is referring to the curse of sin under which we all live, that God has imposed upon the world because of sin. The preacher knows his Bible. He knows things are not the way they ought to be, and he knows why. The ground has been cursed with thorns and thistles. Man can only earn his living by the sweat of his brow. And childbearing is a process filled with pain. Nothing in life comes easy. It is a miserable, unhappy business. A heavy burden that God has placed on us. Life is far from easy under the curse. And so the preacher began to explore, and he says he did it with wisdom, how to find happiness and enjoyment in this life, in life under the curse. Is there anything to gain as we live under this curse? And what is the gain to work? Can we be happy, and how? And he tried out many different ways to try and find happiness. He tried to find out by wisdom. In the beginning, God had made everything good. And now the preacher wanted to find out what, what is really good in this life. What does it take to be happy? If I have a job that I like, if I get to marry the girl I like, if we can share a particular lifestyle, if we can enjoy that together, is that what it will take? If I plan my life carefully and I'm sure to achieve my goals, is that what will make me satisfied and content? Many of us, we we have our lives all planned out, don't we? The preacher tried this too. He tried to find happiness in planning it all out. He wanted to know if happiness and contentment could be found in wisdom. He wanted to see what was good to do, good to do in life under the sun, as he calls it so often in this book. So he tried to find happiness in alcohol. 2 verse 3, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Although it seems like 
he, he didn't get drunk. He writes, my heart was still guiding me with wisdom. So he kept his wits about him. Well, what about us, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? Do you think it's good to try and find happiness in a bottle? Or lighting up a joint? Finding happiness in marijuana or other drugs? Happiness in getting a buzz? Trying to escape from the curse in that way? There are other pursuits as well. The preacher did not limit himself to just these things. He went after sexual pleasure too. He had a harem full of concubines. The delight of the sons of man, he calls it. And then he tried to lose himself in music. He hired singers to amuse him and to soothe him. Oh, there's nothing new under the sun. How often don't we see people walking around with two earbuds, listening to music all day, tuning out the world? The author of Ecclesiastes tried what the world still tries today, finding pleasure in sex and drugs and music, but there is no wisdom and no happiness in that. These are the things that our world also pursues with all its might, and our sinful nature desires that as well. But these things do not bring happiness. Pursuing these things is like chasing the wind. It's an exercise in futility. It's a fool's quest. Because such pleasures are just gone like the wind, like steam that just dissipates in the air. Pleasure is fleeting, congregation. Pleasure is fleeting, and we run after it. We go after it as hard as we can to get that hit, to get that high, to escape the curse. But no sooner are you done indulging in one thing than you are already planning for the next indulgence because one is never enough. One joint is never enough. One drink is never enough. And the pursuit of sex just leads to more perversion. Nothing lasts. And the only thing that you reap from it is misery and emptiness. That's where the pursuit of pleasure gets you. In life under the curse, you cannot find that which is truly good. In the pursuit of pleasure, it doesn't satisfy the soul. That's because it leaves you filled with guilt and with shame. And it doesn't leave any lasting sense of joy and peace. And the same is true for the pursuit of work. The preacher went down that road too. right? We would say he was a workaholic. right? He built great works, houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, pools. He planted trees and forests. He amassed a fortune in gold and silver. He had it all. But that wasn't the way to happiness either. Work is good, but you cannot be happy from your work alone. You could spend your whole life building what you've planned, gathering a collection, building a business, amassing a fortune, but you're going to lose it someday either when you die, or or you could lose it even earlier than that. And either way, someone else is going to enjoy it. And who knows, says the preacher, if he will be a wise man or a fool. So everything that we gain from our toil and labor eventually goes to someone else. You might not even, even become old enough to enjoy it, all the fruit of your labor. And how is that with us, brothers and sisters? We hear, we know the saying that we have, many of us have a Reformed or a Calvinistic work ethic. 
Is that sometimes also an excuse for being a workaholic? I think, brothers, maybe especially we who are men, need to ask ourselves that. We delight in working hard and getting the job done, and we're satisfied with a good, good job, and often we measure ourselves by our accomplishments. But what if you have a job that's just the same old, same old every day again? Then your work can also seem like a striving after the wind. And often your best efforts don't even get recognized and someone else profits from the fruit of your labor. Perhaps, Perhaps the mothers among us feel that more acutely than others. Often... If you go to work somewhere, you, you, you have something to show for it at the end of the day, but, but for a mother, it's the same old dirty diapers and dishes and laundry and cleaning the floors, and, and the next day they're dirty again. And do your kids praise you for what you do? And are you appreciated for your efforts? And the preacher says that even the pursuit of wisdom is a waste of time. Because in the end, what happens to the fool happens to the wise man too. We sang about that in Psalm 49 too. Death is the great equalizer. It comes to everyone sooner or later. And the wise man has to die just like the fool. What an unhappy business that God has given us to be busy with. What a heavy burden. And all our efforts and all our striving cannot wrestle happiness from this life. We can't force happiness out of this life. You can't find it in a bottle or in the next high or in amassing great wealth. Nothing gives happiness. And that's what the preacher discovered as well. In fact, in his life, it became, he became so miserable, he hated his own work. And he became depressed and he gave his heart up to despair. congregation he didn't end up there he didn't stay there by God's grace he didn't stay there and it doesn't have to end there for us either the preacher came to the realization that there is something in this life that does make a difference and that is having faith in God and having peace with God the preacher came to recognize that life under the curse is futile it's just a breath it's just a vapor And when we pursue happiness for the sake of finding happiness, then we will never find it. And that's because the pursuit of happiness is really the pursuit of unbelief. When you live in unbelief, then you love this life. Unbelief says you have to make the most of this life. Unbelief says you have to get what you can out of this life. And that the pleasures of this life are the only option for happiness. So unbelief embraces this life. Unbelief embraces life under the curse, as it is under the curse. But the person of faith hates the misery of this world. The person of faith hates the unhappy business, the heavy burden that God has placed on us. We grieve because of the misery that we find even in our toil and our labor, even when we love it. We grieve and we mourn because of sin and the consequences of sin. Remember what the Lord Jesus said, blessed are those or happy are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant happy are those who mourn over their sin 
and the seriousness of sin and the terrible effects of sin. And he said, they shall receive comfort. Blessed are those who mourn over the vanity of life and over the striving after the wind. Blessed are those who recognize that for what it is. And so the person of faith groans in hope, congregation. And that makes all the difference. While we hate the sin-cursed life, and we ought to, at the same time, we may and, and we, we can love this life because it has been redeemed by Christ. In Christ, your life and your work and your labor and whatever you are building is no longer under the curse. We can love life because God gives us what we most desire and what we most need, and that is a relationship with the Creator. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I say, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? If you read through the first two chapters and then you get to verses 24 through 26, it's like all of a sudden there's a contradiction with the rest of the words that he's writing. Because these last three verses is like a reversal of what He's been talking about. First, he can't, he can't find happiness, and now he says, this is where it is. Well, congregation, that's because the preacher recognizes that we cannot be happy in ourselves. We can't make ourselves happy. Happiness is a gift. Happiness comes only to those who do not seek it. That is, happiness only comes to those who do not seek happiness as an end in itself. Happiness can only be given to you. Happiness can only come from the hand of God. Because just as God placed this heavy burden on us because of the curse of sin, he is also the only one who can lift that burden. So happiness is not something that you can take by your own efforts. And the preacher found that out too. Found that out too. He tried to build his own life and, and pursue happiness in his own way. But all he discovered was that all his efforts were just wind. They were just blown away in the wind. And we're not any different, are we? We're not any different than our first parents, Adam and Eve. They, too, tried to get what they wanted by their own efforts. And their children have been doing the same ever since. Just think about it. They had so many fruit trees in the Garden of Eden but that wasn't good enough for them, was it? So many trees that were good for food and pleasing to the eye, but that wasn't good enough for them. There was so much joy available to them in the garden, but they were blind to it. All they could see was the fruit of the forbidden tree. Why can't we have that tree? Why can't we eat that fruit? Why can't we have that pleasure? Now, there's a familiar question that every parent has heard. All my friends at school have one. Why can't I have one? Right? And when we grow up, we don't change a whole lot. Why can't I get high once in a while from a joint? What's wrong with it if I reach out my hands for the body of my girlfriend once in a while? Why can't I spend my money on what I want? Right? We're just like our first parents. 
And we, we go through our life with our blinders on because all we see is the forbidden fruit. But brothers and sisters and young people of the church, if we are just out to secure our own pleasure, we will find out that we're going to lose it like a puff of vapor because pursuing happiness is like chasing the wind. So we all need to pray that we will come to the realization that striving after the wind is really a useless endeavor. Pray that you will recognize what life is under the curse and recognize the truth that by God's grace you can only receive happiness in him and find it in a gift from him through his son Jesus Christ. And pray that as you recognize the vanity of striving for your own happiness, that you will more and more turn to God and follow his ways and look to him, look to what he has to offer. He gave Adam and Eve a large garden with more than what they needed. And he is offering us too all the fruit trees of this earth all the things that we ever want or need. And the preacher concludes, to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. The Lord Jesus tells us the same thing. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What good does it do to chase after the whole world? What can you gain even if you are the richest man in the whole world? You cannot create happiness. It's our natural inclination to take happiness for ourselves. But God says you can only receive happiness if I give it to you as a gift. And I am willing to give it to you, the Lord says, but then you have to trust me. Congregation, no one can find true happiness apart from God. And so if we are having trouble finding enjoyment in life, maybe we need to ask ourselves some questions. Like, is God truly at the center of my life? If you are deeply dissatisfied with your life, Perhaps it's because you are taking the good things in this life and making them the ultimate thing in life. It's easy to do. Perhaps we are putting happiness above our communion with God. You'll have noticed that the author of Ecclesiastes keeps himself anonymous. And I believe that one reason is that although he is a teacher in Israel... He is not the ultimate source of wisdom. He calls himself the son of David, but a greater son of David has to come to put all the wisdom of the teacher of Ecclesiastes into proper perspective, and that teacher is, of course, our Lord Jesus Christ. He puts life into perspective. You cannot force happiness from this life. You can't change this life. It is but a breath. We are here today. We are gone tomorrow. Our life is short But Jesus does change your life. In him, life is more than a mere breath. And you cannot take control of your life. 
But the Lord Jesus is in control of your life. And he has given, been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And all things are under his feet. And he rules over all things for your sake, for the sake of the church. That's you. And he is the only one who can bring happiness to his people. Seek first his kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you, he promises. Follow him, and he will give you happiness, a blessedness that comes from having peace with God. When you place your trust in him, then life is no longer an unhappy business, because he has removed that heavy burden. He has taken that burden, and he has taken it all the way to the cross, and the burden is gone. For everyone who believes and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, that burden is gone. So trusting in him and seeking to live our life for his pleasure will give us true and lasting peace. And so the only way to lasting happiness is to abandon your own quest for happiness. Stop trying to manipulate your life. Stop stop trying to play God in your own life but instead give it all over to God. Stop trying to create your own happiness by whatever means. Stop seeking your happiness in the good things that God offers us in this life or by controlling the lives of the people around you. Stop trying to seek happiness in the good gifts that God gives us. Yes, We have to stop trying to find happiness even in our parents or our children or our marriage or our boyfriend or girlfriend or in our work. Making God's gifts the ultimate source of happiness, congregation, that's idolatry. That's a sin against the first commandment. Making a God out of something that God created. Placing more importance on the created thing than the creator. Because if you attempt to find happiness in anything on earth, Nothing on earth will bring you ultimate joy. You will find true joy only when you seek your joy and happiness in God alone. Let's not be like that fool in the parable that Jesus told about the man who tried to build the bigger barn. He said to himself, I will say to, I say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But the Lord said to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So the one who lays up treasure for himself is not ri- and is not rich, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, congregation, the difference between believers and unbelievers is not that believers are free from sin. The big difference between believers is that unbelievers and believers, is that those who believe are rich toward God. People of faith seek to please God, while unbelief says, just please yourself. If you seek the Lord with all your heart, if you seek first the kingdom of God, then you will receive the happiness that God has in store for you. So, what do we gain from all our toil and all our labor? The believer knows that all his toil and labor pleases God. 
And to the one who pleases God, the Lord promises peace, contentment, and happiness, true happiness and blessedness in this life, but even more fully in the life to come. And so, congregation, when we appreciate the giver of all good things, earthly things as well as heavenly things, temporal things as well as eternal things, then we will receive happiness under God's blessing also as we live under the sun on this earth. Amen.